a FAM production for all things mattress. FAM.news. Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a show that brings you remarkable stories of success, comedy, failure, and redemption directly from the people who've shaped the landscape of our professional worlds. You'll laugh, you might cry, but most importantly, you'll be motivated to keep pushing to become a better version of you. Just Stories skips the cheesy 10-step processes and long acronyms and gives you just what you want. Stories that truly matter and will impact your life. Meet your host, Brett Thornton, a father, retailer, speaker, motivator, and lover of storytelling. Your transformational listening starts now. All right, welcome back. It is another exciting episode of Just Stories with BT. Once again, we're, we're in the middle of our eight-part series called Recycle Dreams, where we are talking to CEOs um, who either utilize giving back as part of their business, or they are the business that people are giving back to, which is the case today. So I'm really excited to announce that I've got Roger, uh, who's here to talk about the Cena Megawitz Foundation and all things giving back. So welcome. Thank you, Brett. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. So the way I kick these episodes off is a little different than a lot of podcasts because podcasters generally ask the guests, well, tell us, tell the audience about you, you know, and all this stuff. And the problem is, is that some guests don't know how to like rein themselves in. So they go off on these hour long <laughs> tangents and then the whole episode has gone. So to save yourself from you, in case that could have been you, Roger, I'm going to introduce you for you, and then you tell me what I missed. Sound good? Okay. So All right. Like a plan. Okay, so here we go. All right, Roger was born in Montecito, New York, but he moved to Brooklyn when he was two years old. Um, as he was growing up, he actually nannied for a little while, three boys um, on uh, Fire Island, where he learned a, an important lesson in life, which was not everyone lived in a little apartment. Some people had a lot of money, including multiple houses. Um, as he grew up, he was on the wrestling team. Um, throughout high school, he realized after he, he graduated, he didn't want to go to school. He actually went right into the USMC. Um, after doing that for a couple of years, he ended up leaving that to go get into furniture leasing in Washington, D.C. And he also started selling mattresses part time on the holidays, realized, oh, wait a minute, I can actually do this thing called sales. Um, and so went to mattress discounters at the time and elevated himself, got promoted, got into a district manager role and ended up buying stores from them to run um, in 19, which was in 1983. In 1985, he met Jean. Jean, well, I'll have to ask you about that. Um, his wife and they had two kids, one son and one daughter. Um, in 1993 was a big year. He opened up a bunch of stores in Atlanta. But unfortunately, in 1996, actually went bankrupt, lost those stores but didn't let that get him down, came back swinging and went and opened up a chain of successful stores in Arizona. But unfortunately in 2001, tragedy struck, which was his mom passed away of pancreatic cancer, which launched Roger into research and figuring out what is going on with this disease. And he launched and became the CEO of the Cena Magowitz Foundation to fight pancreatic cancer in 2002. Um, he went on later to sell all of his stores to mattress firm so he could focus full-time on the foundation, which has now raised over $12 million for pancreatic cancer research, how to do? Well, what you, what you missed is it would be Monticello, New York. And from Monticello at two years old, moved to Brooklyn and spent the next 15 years in Brooklyn until he, as you said, enlisted in the Marine Corps. And at 18, you know, went right off to the Marine Corps after graduating high school. And so, did I get your your wife's name? How do you pronounce her name? Jeannie. 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 Nice. And you have two kids. What are their names? Craig and Melissa. Awesome. And so, right now, if you're just listening to the podcast and you're not watching on video, you'll notice that Roger seems to be very relaxed and has a beautiful setting behind him, which is because he's in Hawaii. So we're all extremely jealous. And you said your family's there with you too. Melissa, her husband, Josh, and my two grandkids, Emma and Blake. Actually, they're living with us right now until they find a house. Nice. Hey, well, no better place to be. I, um, you probably appreciate this, but, you know, I'm somebody that in my line of work legitimately traveled, you know, on an airplane 
went on trips probably three to four times a month for over a decade, right? For work during my, you know, last 10, 15 years. And the last flight I was on was last year in February to Hawaii. So I was having a birthday. And so my buddies, we all flew. And one of my best friends from college lives in Kauai. So we went and stayed at his house for a week. And every day it was like the news and the pandemic was getting a little more serious and a little more serious. And then it was like, by the time we were flying out, they were already getting ready to kind of shut things down. It was wild. And I haven't been on a plane since, which is just mind blowing. So yep, looking a year forward blew to getting by. back to that. What was that? I said a year blew by. It did. It did. And so we're going to get into talking about your foundation um, and kind of what you guys are doing. Um, you know, but I really, before I get into that and, and we get into talking about how businesses can give back and how they can get involved in this type of thing, um, I really want the listeners to get an opportunity to get to know you a little bit, you know, and I like to do that through well, storytelling. Um, and so before we get into the serious stuff, you know, I, I always like to ask, you know, think of a time or a story when you think back at your career, whether it's when you were selling mattresses, owning business, whether it was with a foundation, you know, do you have any really funny or entertaining memories that just always come, come up when you think of that? Uh, well, it might not be the perfect situation, but we were actually vacationing in Nashville mm -hmm. and we ordered room service. We had come in late and I ordered room service and the room service guy looks at me and says, do you know who I am? <laughs> not a clue. He said, I used to work for you at Mattress Discount as in Virginia Beach. I'm like, you did? He said, well, you probably, I wasn't there that long, but he said, I justifiably got fired. He said, I was caught sleeping in the adjustable bed <laughs> after I was just working for you guys for two weeks. And obviously it wasn't that hysterical a story, but it was like, what a small world. And I'm vacationing in Nashville. Yeah. Room service comes. And the guy looks at me. And I really had no clue who he was. Because oh, he hadn't been there that long. <laughs> but he, he knew who I was. And he's like, uh, do you know me? I said, no. He said, well, he said, it actually helped me. He said that I got fired. And I had to be, do something at that point. Or my parents were going to kill me. And I think he said he wound up going to school and in back to school in Nashville and was in school, was working at a, a, a fine hotel. And he said because of that, his life had actually gotten back on track. But uh -huh. it's a small world where you sort of never you never know who's who or who you're going to bump into. And you if know. I would have ran him over with a car, I certainly wouldn't have known even yeah. who he was. Oh, man. So the question is, obviously, what everyone's thinking is, did you eat the food? Did you think he was going to mess with it? That, that was that was a question. But <laughs> when he told me his life had gotten on track because yeah. he had gotten fired, I said, OK, honey, I think we I think we could eat the meal because he actually seemed to be in a pretty good, pretty good mood and was actually looking like we had helped him along his yes. his life's lessons. So oh, man, I said, ah, we, we could eat the meal. and. We never got sick, and uh, it was just ironic that you know you you meet people in funny places. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say that you know the only thing in that story that seems a little harsh is that you know laying an adjustable base, especially when you got the massage going and your feet are up. I mean, I can understand how someone could fall asleep. I mean, it's the most comfortable position to be in is is on a base. Yeah. You know, he, he fell to the same problem that many other salespeople did and wound up in the same place, which was being fired, <laughs> because it was not uncommon to have that story happen. In fact, yep. uh, that, that sort of was another story where uh, a good friend of mine worked for us, and this was in Atlanta, and uh, he called and said to the porter came to him one day and said, hey, what hours do you take your nap? And my friend who was the new store manager said, what, what do you mean? What hours do I take my nap? And he said, well, the, the old store manager would nap between three and five in the back. And I would go in the front and work the store. And the guy was like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's right. And I don't take naps. So 
you don't have to worry about cover oh, for me word. while the guy goes in the back and takes a nap. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people fell to yeah. the humming of an adjustable base <laughs> and That's said so to themselves, why? Why the did guy- I do that? So the guy legitimately had a nap break worked into his schedule. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. He did, and oh. had and had the porter train that you you work the front, you answer the phones, and I take my nap. I said life is good. Yeah, as uh, I used to have a boss back in the day when I was at Sleep Train a long time ago, and um, he was famous for saying that's a good way to get promoted to customer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he did. You know that that happens very quick and. And very easy, and I bet you could do a podcast just about stories of who was on an adjustable base and what happened to them and why. Yeah, I actually like one story comes to mind that I'll just tell real quick, which was I, I was running a store. This is you know 15 years ago by myself or 16 years ago, and it was a real small volume store. You always worked by yourself. You know, one person worked the whole shift. You know, 11 hours, and and there was never anyone in there. But I had a couple sets of guests coming in. At the end of the night, of course, after not seeing anyone all day. And then I'm trying to deal with them. And this one lady had been trying a bunch of beds and she'd been laying on beds for like an hour, which is a pretty long time for someone to be like laying on bed. She really was like, I really want to get the feel of it. And we used to have these things called education centers. And they were like these in it. And this is back with sleep train. So Dale had these you know, trains on them and all this stuff. And they were kind of right in the middle of the store. And they had the, the inner springs around them. So you could kind of show the guests. Well, where I was sitting on my desk and where this education center was, the lady who was trying these beds, when I was talking to another guest, I thought she left. And I, I, heard, I could have sworn I heard the door chime and I thought she left. So apparently she didn't leave. She goes behind where I can't see her and she's laying on this bed. So she falls asleep. I don't know. No idea she's there. So I like finish up with the other customers. They leave out the back. I'm wrapping everything up. I go around and I hit the alarm. And then when you hit the alarm, you got to like run through the store from the front all the way to the back to get out before the 30 seconds. And it's like beeping. And right when I get to the back of the store, I hear this like, hello, hello. And I like panic, you know, I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? Like, what was it? And this guy, I see this lady sitting up and I'm like, oh no. So I sprint back to the front to get the alarm before it starts, you know, blaring. And she, she was so funny. She was so embarrassed. She's like, oh my God, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> She's like, I totally fell asleep. It was a classic. So, maybe you want to use that story. Hey, you know, this is how it works. Look, so. there's, there's a million of these little antidotal stories. Like uh, my brother-in-law worked for me and uh, we had like a, a small truck. Well, he normally didn't drive the truck, but he drove the truck and was heading to the bank. He forgot he was in a truck and went through the drive through at the bank oh, no. with the truck. And of course, like took out the bank because <laughs> it was the drive-through and he was in, in the truck. And I'm like, John, what were you thinking? And he was like, I wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm so <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. The police come, you know. Oh my god. It, it's a whole obviously the truck is destroyed, the bank is destroyed, the police are there. And of oh. course he he's mortified that. Yeah, you know, he just forgot he wasn't in because it wasn't a it wasn't a big U-Haul truck. Yeah, it yeah. was like a small box truck, just completely forgot. <laughs> All right, so that was the easy part, right? Easy questions, um, but I love to hear from people who, especially, especially CEOs and people who have you know run their own companies. Um, I love to ask about a story or two uh, about failure. Right. Like what was something in your life that you think back when you look at your businesses or the foundation that you was a really difficult time? Um, and, and how did you get through it? Well, I, I would probably say uh, the best thing that ever happened to us was our bankruptcy in Atlanta. And I've heard it from other people, but I think until you've been through a bankruptcy and you sort of been walking up the mountain and now you're coming down the mountain and it's not a very good feeling yeah and so you reflect and even if all your reasons for why you had to go bankrupt were right and justify it teaches you a lesson that i will never
I had never thought about how a bankruptcy could be the best medicine because that's a lesson you don't want to learn again. Yeah. And it completely changes your mindset of how you think about business, how you think about your personal financial affairs. And it wasn't a good place. And my only thought at the time was, I got myself into this and there's only one person who can get myself out of this and that's myself. And I still believe that to be true from, for, for me or, or any other entrepreneur that you just really had to dig deep and take that lesson to say, okay, you don't want to be here again. Mm -hmm. And what do I have to do to make sure that I don't get here again? Because this is not a comfortable place, especially after you've had some success in your career and your life. It's, it's a hard lesson. And the interesting part was all I knew was mattresses because I was young. I mean, when we opened up stores, I was 22, 23 years old. And truthfully, it probably all worked because I was too stupid to know what I was doing was wrong. Because yeah. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was 22, 23, yeah. just saying I could do it. And so when the bankruptcy hit, it, it really makes you dig deep as far as working out of the bankruptcy. And what I told myself was, if I go to all my major vendors and say, look, I'm going to pay you all the money that I owe you, but it'll probably take two to five years for me to pay it back. So would you rather go into a bankruptcy and get 10, 15 cents on a dollar? Or do you want to work with me and I will pay you back? It might be two years, might be five years. Obviously, a lot just depends. And really, just about everybody rolled with me. Awesome. But what wound up happening is at the end of it, you know, I was a lot stronger in the respects from all of those companies because I certainly could have just done the bankruptcy and, you know, hurt whoever my vendors were at the time. But I knew I wanted to stay in the business and I wanted to treat people fairly and I wanted to be treated fairly. And so in all honesty, the best thing that ever happened to me was the bankruptcy because you, you're never going to go there again. Yeah. You're never going to let that happen again. And you learn from your mistakes. And those become one of those life's lessons that you, you, you take at the heat and say, boy, that was tough. But that was probably the best thing that could have happened to us. And really, it stayed with, with me and how we dealt with things forever because we were a relatively small company. And so it wasn't bank financing. It was bank of roger financing yeah but that was just whatever money we had earned mm -hmm. you know through through the business so it was a, a tough navigation but i think we came out a lot a lot better and a lot stronger and a lot wiser and when i look back at my life i say the bankruptcy was the best thing that ever happened to them yeah yeah i've heard that before you know and i think that it, it seems to be something that as I've been doing these interviews with different CEOs, you know, they pretty much all have these major setbacks, you know, and the, and the thing that seems to define them versus a lot of other people is that instead of letting something like that fold them, they end up doubling down like, okay, well, this happened to me once, not gonna let that happen again. Let me learn from it. And then how, you know, and then going to go to this next thing. And so how did you, how did you tell yourself? I mean, just mentally, you know, like, you go through something like that. You've got a lot of industry experience. I'm sure you could have easily gone out and got a job with Simmons or Serta, you know, I mean, these, these companies, you know, but how did you tell yourself like, no, you know what? I think I'm just going to stick with the entrepreneur and go do it again. Well, but I just knew in the back of my head, the only one who got me into this was me. The only one who's going to get me out of this is me. And I'm going to have a much bigger value in, in my, myself, in my own mind, if I can navigate and work through, at the time, a horrific situation. Because look, it's, it's certainly not pretty when you're going into a bankruptcy and you don't have money. And then the attorney says, well, you know, we need a, 
$150,000 retainer. And you're like, what? what? You know, I'm going bankrupt. Where do you think I got $150,000? He's like, well, if you want to retain me, you come up with it. So, you know, look, you have to become creative. And I think the most, the biggest thing was you had to have the confidence in yourself. You know, you ha- you had to know that this is the way we have to fly, and you know, life is reputation. Yeah. And you know, if your reputation is that you're a blowout artist, I mean, who really wants to deal with you? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. only the desperate ones. And and my feeling was, uh, look, I respected all these people. I was in the wrong place at the right time, and. It just wasn't working. And and we also had to realize that, you know, it's not easy to wake up one day and say, I think we've had enough, you know, we're bleeding. And uh, how do we get out of this? Yeah. No, I get it. So tell me, you know, so you're you've got these stores, the chain's going well in Arizona. Um and then just kind of walk us through, you know, the events of 2001. How does Cena Megawitz Foundation get started? Um, just that whole kind of transition period. Well, Cena Megawitz Foundation got started like everything else. It just sort of happened. Certainly, it wasn't a plan to, to, to lose your mom. Uh, certainly, when it happened, at least in my case, you go into a depression. I mean, my parents were divorced when I was two. Mom was dad, mom, and everything to me. Mm-hmm. So when you sort of feel like you've lost your whole world, and she was young, she was only 64 when we lost her, that's pretty young considering I'm 61 sitting in front of you. So 64 doesn't seem to be that old and so really what happened was going through a depression for a year and then sort of just like the bankruptcy said you know i i just have to do something and the and in my head i couldn't figure out why she wasn't here anymore you know what did she do something what you know why did the guy upstairs decide to take her and so in my mind, what I rationalized was if I had to lose my mother, who was my world, then I had to make something big out of it. That I had to take that problem and say, well, what I'm going to do is help other people because of the loss of her. And, and really, that, that's what we did. If I, I had to have a way to justify her loss and the way I justified her loss was saying, okay, I lost my mom, but it's empowered me to help hundreds, maybe thousands of people in their life and in their battle with pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and that was sort of how we got into it. Of I, I had to come up with a reason why I lost my mother. And then like being an entrepreneur, you just sort of jump into it. And the first year I look up on the internet, there's a woman doing a golf tournament. Hey, I'd like to join you. Okay. Well, she raised $10,000 that year. Well, I had never done one. So I really didn't know if that was a lot or a little. It seemed like a lot. And so I told her, I said, hey, how about next year you put the event in my mom's name and let me see if I can call a bunch of friends and see what they would do. Well, so she said, okay, and she puts it in my mother's name, and that year we did 50000 and that was really our first year at Cena Magowitz Foundation, even though it wasn't a foundation at that point, yep. and that was really how we, how we started, and, and then the year after we did that, the woman told me, hey, uh, each year we're going to change the name. I said, huh? I said, well, why would all of my people come to somebody that they don't know? And she said, well, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to be fair. And I said, well, I tell you what, rather than us arguing, how about you do your deal and I'll just take a shot to do a golf tournament on my own 
without your help, which was nothing. Yeah. And do it by myself. And, and really, that's that's what we did. And, and, and that was the start. And really just had a, a bunch of friends and, and family who were more than happy to help and step out and just met a bunch of great people and patients and, and doctors. And it just all started moving into the to the right direction. And most importantly, it made me feel good because in my mind, I was justifying the loss of my mother to empower me to help others. And that gave me a lot of relief. I mean, it was yeah. like, oh, it was like a, a big sigh of relief that I can help other people. And we can, I mean, we do it daily. What was, what was, can you think of one story in particular with maybe a company that sponsors the event or comes and donates or whatever that, you know, you saw them donate or you saw them being touched by what was happening and you thought to yourself like, oh, I can't, wow, like I can't believe how big this has gotten or like I can't believe how much people are donating. Well, you know, when, when, when you do it without really being on the philanthropic side of stuff, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're having million dollar events and really moving the needle and, and really making a difference and really then seeing patients who went on those trials that you and all your friends sponsored and they come up to you and say, thank you for my life. I'm alive because of that trial and I've gotten to see grandkids. And we've had wedding anniversaries and we've had birthdays. And without that, I'm not sure I would be here today. So thank you. Uh, that becomes pretty, pretty powerful. And the truth is we almost do that kind of stuff daily. Yeah. And, and so it, 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 it's a powerful moment when those kind of things happen. And they happen fairly frequently. And of course, that's what, that's what gives you the drive yeah. because certainly fundraising during a pandemic, not easy. We had to completely switch from to a virtual world. Uh, you know, so like any charity, you, you had to change the way you were doing business. And, and really it, it made me probably double down my time on the foundation yeah. because not now we were in a whole new world. You know, now we weren't in person touching the flesh, meeting people, or for that matter, I couldn't get on, I couldn't talk to you and say, Hey, I'd love to involve avocado in a program. And how about I fly in and how about I meet with you? And how about I bring a patient? And how about I come with one of our doctors? And we explain the whole program that we're doing, Brett, because we really are making a difference in this world and would like you and avocado to be part. You know, the zoom call only goes so far. There's, you lose that interpersonal relationship that that's where we make all of these relationships at these events. It's, it's no different than going to a betting conference or a leadership conference or a furniture market. It's all called networking. Well, yeah. the same, the same practice that follows business follows charitable giving, you know, yeah. it, it's those same steps. Yeah, for sure. I imagine it's been crazy, but I also think that, you know, I've seen a shift um, in my mind, especially, you know, on social media and with people I interact with, and especially the younger demographic millennials, you're now 30, 35. I, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing people with a, a huge need and a want to work with companies, to work with individuals, to work with products who have this kind of story of giving back. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's becoming a, a, a we're at a crossroads where I think that companies who just don't even do any philanthropic work, I think people are going to be like, I don't even want to really do business with you because there's so many different things you can do. You know, obviously people can work with you, but they can, there's foster kids, there's this, there's, I mean, there's so much need in the world. And so like, what have you seen just over the last few years? Have you seen a shift in more people wanting to get involved in this type of thing? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. If, if a customer shop, say three stores and one of those three stores had a charitable arm to what they did. And it was real. It clearly wasn't, you know, baloney that somebody yeah. made up and said, ah, you know, we give, you know, 
2% of all our gross sales to whatever the charity is. And, you know, we would see it firsthand, even in Virginia Beach at Mattress Discounters. We would take, take a book about Randy Pausch that was really the first sort of face and voice of pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And we would put his book up on the counter. Well, what would happen was, you know, now people, oh, they're getting ready to leave and you're talking to them, trying to close them. You're going to give them an estimate of what the price would be. And the guy said, well, what's the book? Well, we said, that's the last lecture. And we're involved. We have a foundation for pancreatic cancer. And I was just watching the salesman do this. And he goes through the whole presentation of why we have the book, who Randy Pausch is talking about pancreatic cancer. And, and this guy was a, a real asshole. I mean, he was not a pleasant customer. He was just one of those guys that he was going to bust shoes all the way. And all of a sudden at the end, now we're talking about a charity. He in two seconds said, you know what? I appreciate what you guys are doing. Just write it up. And that, that was sort of the tipping point in my head. Of, uh, that was that uh, aha moment of, you know, I, I knew it. People, people are charitable at heart. People want to give. And look, if I'm going to buy a bed for 2000 bucks, and one guy is telling me they're heavily involved in a charity, and all across our store we would have posters and material. Well, why wouldn't a person want to help the people that are helping their community yeah. versus somebody that's just taking all the rewards and putting it in their pocket? And, yeah. you know, look, when you think about cancer, who hasn't been hit with? It might not be pancreatic cancer, but I guarantee you that's few to no people. If you had a thousand people in a room and said, hey, uh, raise your hand if a family member or friends is that any form of cancer. Yeah. I mean, 999 hands are probably going to go up. Yeah. So even though people might not have been pancreatic cancer, that they know the pitfalls and the tragedy of a family member getting cancer and what they have to go through. And look, people are, are certainly appreciative, especially when it affects their community. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And what do you see, you know, so uh, in, in having a foundation like this, you know, that's, that's obviously it is specific to one area, you know, and you've got these amazing doctors and these, in these unbelievable stories, you know, how, what, how do companies get involved with you? Do they just, are they just straight donating? Are they doing, you know, percentage of their, of the funds? Like how does it work? Well, well you know, it's really been across the board, uh, you know, some people, it will be cash. Some, some people, it will be, hey, not only are we going to give corporately, but I'm so committed, I want to give personally as well. And I'll, I'll give one classic example is I get a flat, Carl Glassman. Carl, CEO, president of Leggett, is very involved in what we do. He's been involved almost probably since day one. And he's been involved for a reason because he, he believes in it. He believes in me. He believes in the doctors. And he's never had pancreatic cancer in his family. But he sees the differences that we're able to make in people in funding clinical trials and in making a difference in the community and the world. And I once asked Carl, I said, Carl, are you okay with me putting it out? that Leggett is doing this and you, you're going to do stuff personally because, you know, certainly he's, he's doing a great deed. I don't, you know, I don't want to hurt him. And if I'm Leggett and flat, I got a million people calling me for money. Yeah. And I, I don't think Leggett gives, gives that money out too easily. And Carl said to me, you know, Roger, if somebody could show me the program that you have and someone could show me the quality of Dr. Von Hoff who is who heads up the program for us he said i'll do the same thing he says so i'm not worried about you doing it because look if if you publicizing it helps the cause then 
then I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we've done programs early on with mattress program where we did to round up your dollars. And all we did is round up your dollars and not even every store was doing it. I think we raised 380,000 like in four months. And as you know, there were some stores killing it and other stores never, never got a nickel. But the people that were doing it did it, did it really well. And a lot of what happens is by me manufacturing it, where I, I called Brett and said, hey, Brett, you know, who, who did avocado, you know, who are they charitable with? You know, why are they charitable? Is, is there a call? Is, is there a charitable, charitable cause near and dear to somebody's, you know, a CEO's heart? Uh, you know, so really it's, it's me knowing the, having the connection yeah. and going out there and saying, Hey, Brett, is there anything you think you could do? Or can you come to our event? And, and really that's what happened with Steve Stagner and Steve Fendrick very, very early on, because I, I didn't know it, but when they were buying my business, one of the things they were looking at is they did not have a charitable cause. Oh, wow. At that time. And I can remember Steve and Steve flying to Arizona to meet with the doctors to speak to him. And Steve got that aha moment. Both of them did. Yeah. And they said, we like this. Well, I didn't know what they were doing because when Mattress Firm bought me, they weren't even public at that point. Wow. And, and so, but they had that aha moment that, okay, we could, we could use this. People could buy into it. We love what you're doing. And really what we do is we raise money for clinical trials. And clinical trials are important because the standard of care really doesn't work and really doesn't prolong life. Yeah. So most of the time if somebody's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, unless they're on a clinical trial and maybe they're real lucky, that they don't have a long time. Yeah. No, I know. I know the numbers are staggering. Um, so, you know, to kind of like to close the book on this, you know, one thing I want to um, one last thing I want to ask you about is a theory, not a theory, but a, a, a practice that I call experiential giving. And so what I'm a firm believer in is that the best possible way of giving that any organization can do is experiential. And what I mean by that is that a guest, you know, comes in to your store, online, whatever it is, and they make a purchase, right? And this purchase then, you know, equates to some type of giving. So let's say it's with you guys, right? Let's say we say, hey, you come in, you're gonna buy this bed, we're gonna donate to, to the Cena Magwoods Foundation, right? And so what happens is that the the employee, right, who's, who's showing this bed or showing this spa or whatever you're selling, right? They do a great job, they make the sale, they feel good about what they're doing, but they also did such a good job that it was this item that has this attachment to Cena Magowitz, right? Then the consumer who came in, they were going to come by whatever anyways, right? They're going to get their spa. Like they, they came in, I'm going to buy this thing today. It's going to happen. But then they were presented with this thing. Hey, if you buy this also, just so you know, we're donating this cool to this charity. And then what you didn't know is this guest's mother or dad or spouse had cancer or maybe died or, you know, so something triggers. And now they're like, oh, I can buy this thing and I can help someone. Right. And then obviously the money on the back end, it actually goes to you guys at Cena Magowitz. Right. Then it, it, we're able to pay the doctors and able to do all these things for these more clinical research. And we, and we get closer to curing cancer, you know, and so it's this circle. Right. And everybody wins. And what I'm starting to find out over the course of this last five years of doing this, both at my jobs and talking to people, is that this experiential giving, it drives just as much or more revenue and guests than putting things on sale. And so I'm becoming a believer in like, man, you've got to start rotating in giving campaigns into your normal ad promotional calendar because it drives in just as many people. And yet instead of taking all the money off products that you would normally discount, you can put that towards your giving event. Does that make sense? Well, well it does. And you, you know, you got to remember the salespeople have, you know, their job is not so easy. But when you have a charitable arm and they feel good about it, even if they were trying to figure out who are they going to work for? I need a job. 
it's the same way if we took those same three customers. Well, if I need a job and somebody explained to me that we feel not only are we selling mattresses and making people sleep better and have a healthier life, but we're also giving back to the community. We're going to take X percent or give X dollars towards pancreatic cancer. Well, first of all, some of those people have cancer in their family. Maybe somebody has pancreatic cancer. Well, well now that, that salesperson is all charged up, right? Because now he feels so good about his company. It goes back to all you need is that one person to thank that salesperson saying, you know what, thank you. Not only was it a great experience in the store and you gave me a great deal, but I greatly appreciate what you do because a lot of times it was a buy-in and we would have, you know, like 96% where all of us, our store people would donate to the foundation. So everybody became part of it. I mean, it wasn't just the customers. It was the, the salesmen. It was the office staff. And so everybody got put into this. And then when we would have that one big event a year, it, it was sort of like a mattress firm leadership conference. I mean, we bring everybody together. We have the great meals. We have outside activities. We have donors mix, mixing with patients and patients mixing with doctors and doctors mixing with the nurses and you know, and the patients get to see the doctors in a totally different atmosphere versus going to the clinic and having to worry of, you know, am I going to get a surgery today? Am I going to get bad news today? And they get to meet the spouse. It's a totally different feeling. And the bottom line is everybody does win. And it's awesome. And I believe when you go through that full circle, Everybody is a winner, Brad. And if somebody is sitting out there not doing anything yeah. for the community, and it's really for themselves. I mean, people certainly take pride in this. I take pride in this. Anybody that's part of any charitable giving program, they certainly feel good. And like I said, you have that one patient come up to you and say, Brad, thank you for what you do. It saved my life. Or maybe their kids come up to you and say, if it wasn't for what your company is doing, mom would have been dead a long time ago. Well, it certainly puts a lot of pop in your step and, you know, you, you want to do more. And that's how, look, that's how people become creative. Yeah. And, and that's, and look, that's how you get vendors. Cause when yeah. the vendors see the good that you're doing, look, they might've said, Hey, I could give you a thousand dollars this year, but if they really see something positive happening, I guarantee without me saying anything like next year we'll do 5,000. Yeah. And they, they themselves would move up the ladder each year. So can you leave us with, is there any one story that sticks out in your mind of, of a survivor that went through one of the trials and just kind of always gets you that you think about? Well, you know, what gets me is I, I spoke to had a, a friend and a patient, Phil Zabliski. And Phil was in hospice and we were talking and literally he passed days after we spoke, but he was so thankful that he was able to live about three and a half years from the time of his diagnosis and that he was part of clinical trials. He himself donated pretty heavily to the foundation, but was like, I have no regrets. I have no regrets and I want people to know what I'm doing because I, I want more people to do this. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting when you're speaking to people days before they're dying. Yeah. I can't even think, you know, I can't even put my mind wrap around what, what are they really thinking? Uh, you know, and here's somebody telling me he was just so happy he was part of the foundation, that he was part of the process, and that he he had a lot of birthdays and anniversaries, wished, wished he had a whole bunch more, but the clinical trials, you know, when we look at pancreatic cancer is really what's greatly needed to, to make a difference in this world, so I, I guess, you know, the close, when, when you could speak to people who were in hospice 
and they're thankful and they're happy. And it amazes me because what would we all think? Well, you'd have to be boohooing. Well, I'm sure they're boohooing as well, but see people with their heads so high, uh, it, it, it gives you a special feeling. I mean, you just know you're doing the right thing and, and you're not helping people when you think about what, I look at it is when you look at one bad action in this world, how many people it affects. Yeah. You know, it's like if a, a drunk driver hits somebody, well, they didn't just affect the person that they hit. They were children. They were mothers. They were fathers. They were aunts. They were uncles. They were workplaces. Well, I think the same thing we could spend to be positive. If we all go out there and try to do something positive for our company, for our communities, wouldn't the world just be a better place? Yeah. Uh, and it would about, be. And you think about the ripple. It's the same ripple when you do a good action. That it affects that's their kids. It affects their thing. It just it just keeps rolling, you know. And 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 really, that's and that's what I love about doing this. You know, I love when somebody just calls me out of the blue and said, "Hey, I've been involved, but I want to be more involved." Or what unfortunately happens, well, they were sort of on the peripheral edges of being involved. And then they get pancreatic cancer in their family. Yeah. Then it really changes. And of course, then they they really want to dig deep and you know, what could I do and how could I help? And I tell people help is A to Z. Help yeah. could be, you know, one person $25 is a lot. Another person has a gift card that they could repurpose. Another person could write you a check for a hundred thousand dollars, Brad. And yeah. That doesn't change anything they do or their own foundation. Uh, you, you know, and look, when I, when I even look at my life and my career, I've told people no one is going to remember me for how many mattresses I sold. No one's going to remember Brett for that. No one's going to remember Mark or Mark. But one thing they will remember Roger about is what he did for pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And and I really believe that because it's not going to be on my tombstone. You know, look at how many mattresses he sold and how many stores he had. I, I think all of that really at the end of the day is, is irrelevant, right? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, what did we do to, to help community? What, what did we do to help our family? What did we do to personally take a stand and try to make a difference? If by making a difference, were we able to engage other people and mobilize corporate America, mobilize, look, you, you never know who you're talking to. I mean, I could yeah. be sitting on a plane sharing a business card with somebody and I'll go home and Google them and say, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 I got to give this guy, you know, I got to give this guy a call. Yeah. And what's happened, we've been fortunate and people have been very, very loyal to what we do, but they're loyal because up until COVID, we didn't have one paid employee, Brad. We have no brick and mortar. We had no paid employees. It was just three of us working, no pay, no nothing. And so every dollar somebody gave us and gives us really goes to the bottom line of the cause. And and that meant a lot to people because, you know, we, we weren't having to, we didn't, we had no overhead. So you weren't yeah. having to worry like, okay, for every dollar, how much is really hitting the bottom line? Well, if I have no overhead, yeah, maybe we have an event. We had to pay for the event. Yeah. And I think that's really what all of our lives are about is, you know, what, what did you do in your life to make a difference? And again, it's not going to be what company you work for, how many mattresses. It's really going to be, how, how, how did you help the guy next door? And, and look, when I pick the next people, I get, I put my cell phone all over the internet. So I get people call me that I have no clue who they are. Yeah. But I guarantee you, I could help them. I could make their life a lot easier. And I could put them into world-renowned doctors by just placing a phone call, Brett. That becomes very powerful. I could... I could save no, somebody's absolutely. life by just knowing who to call. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you could, you could save someone's life by just someone listening to this podcast and having somewhere to go, you know, and that's, and that's really, you know, that, that's, that's the, the perfect way to end it. Cause I know we've already been at an hour and, yeah. I, you know, 
but I think that the reality is this, um, you know, as I've listened to you, you know, a couple of things really jumped out at me, you know, and I think that, you know, you being super transparent and talking about your mom and, you know, going into that year of, you know, depression after, I think is really important because I think there's so many people right now who are going through loss and that there's this natural kind of depression um, that comes from it and trying to figure out how do you fill that void. And as a society, you know, I think we're really good at just dumping things to fill it, you know, like let's fill it with media, with social media, with TV, with this, like whatever I can to, to quiet the noise because I don't want to just deal with the pain, you know, because people don't want to. Um, and I think that uh, something that, that, that you did and that I hear from other people is that that void never goes away. It doesn't just disappear, you know, but you can fill it with good. You can. And, and that when you fill it by doing things for others, you know, that's one thing that it, 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 it's never going to bring your mom back. But it sure is going to make your mom proud wherever she is, you know, and, and it's going to help someone else. And I think that, you know, if we can just keep encouraging more and more businesses, get out and do something. I don't care what it is. I'd love it if they go work with you, with anyone, foster kids, military, like it doesn't matter. There's so many different things. You know, I always tell people I, you know, I did this documentary film and about the genocide going on in Burma when I was in my 20s with my brother-in-law and my and one of my other best friends. And we were in Washington, D.C., raising money and doing all this stuff to get over there to shoot this film. And people used to always tell me, why are you why do you care about people halfway on the other side of the world? we got enough problems here. And I always answer them with the exact same thing. I'd say, oh, I know. Absolutely. Tell me about what organization you're dealing with here. Tell me about what you're doing. Never once did I ever have someone be able to come right back and tell me what they're doing. You know, and so like what I always tell people is like, just get out there and do things for others because it's going to make you feel better about your situation, no matter what that situation is. Well, well, and I think people, you know, when you dig deep into, you know, why, why are we here on this earth? You know, what are we doing? Where are we going? What, what are we going to be remembered for? You know, what will our family remember us for? And, you know, we, we've certainly touched probably thousands of people and a lot of them I, I don't know who they are you know they they just call but you know that that's the beauty of it you I love doing that when somebody calls yeah. me that I don't even know and somehow they found us off of the internet uh, you know mm -hmm. I'm treating them the same way because of course what my hope is is if I help them when you can you'll help the foundation and and you do wind up making a difference and you know what what are you waking up in the morning for it's not mm -hmm. just to work i think it's a lot of you got to give back got to make yeah. a difference you do and you i do. thank you for having us and hearing no, our story so about the Santa magowitz foundation i know this was awesome so i had a blast i learned a ton um you're really motivating and i appreciate it so we will and there, Roger, this is phenomenal. So look forward to seeing you and hopefully making it out to the tournament. We can all be back in, uh, in person, hopefully next year. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Just Stories with BT. For more podcasts and audio stories, head over to fam.news. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.